Good morning, my friends. This is missionary James Robinette with Mission Africa. And by the Lord's marvelous grace, I am blessed to worship him in the teaching and preaching ministry of his precious word today. It is also my blessing to meet with you, dear listener, dear Christian believer, in Christian fellowship via the airwaves of ABC Radio. Friends, you can learn more about our ministry at www. Dot missionafricajk.home.blog. Today we continue in a short sermon series about how it is better to go to be with the Lord based upon Philippians chapter 1 verses 19 through 26. Hear now the word of the Lord beginning in Philippians chapter 1 verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Praise the Lord. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Friends, let us pray. Lord, we rejoice in this glorious truth that it is far better for a Christian to depart and to be with you, Lord Jesus Christ, and that to die in Christ is gain, in a real sense, a great gain. We give you thanks that you have revealed this to us and we pray for more insight into this truth. We pray that you will bless the teaching again today, that your very spirit will bring grace and blessing, unction to us, that we will enjoy your presence, be aware that you are near and walk in the truth with you during this time. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that you have overcome the grave for us and removed the sting of death. You have fulfilled the law and you have made us righteous in your grace and peace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen and amen. Friends, for the last several weeks, we have been looking at this truth that it is better to go to be with the Lord that to die in Christ is gain. And our hope in this sermon series is that we might better understand in a spiritual way these truths, the depths of these truths, and that the word of God will so work in our hearts that we will indeed be like Paul, that we will be joyful and know that when it is our time to go to be with the Lord, that it is better to go to be with the Lord. I pray, too, that this understanding will help us when it is that our loved ones in Christ go to be with the Lord. 
and that we all who are listening today might be better prepared for death, which is inevitable, which is coming as the Lord declares, because we have sinned. We will look at two passages in the scripture today that help us to better understand this truth that we see so clearly declared in Philippians chapter 1. It's said that on February 26, 1981, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones lay dying, and unable to speak, he scribbled his last words on a piece of paper. Don't pray for healing. Don't hold me back from the glory. And on that day, he died. And on that day, the doctor finally met the great physician. We see in these thoughts that Martin Lloyd-Jones desired to go to the glory. He had a sense and understanding by God's grace of the glory that awaited him. And so he didn't want to remain in this world. He was ready. He wanted to go to be with the Lord, which would be his everlasting gain. It would be far better for him to be with the Lord. We see in John chapter 6, in the story of the death and resurrection of Lazarus, that is that the Lord Jesus Christ raised Lazarus who had died to life again from death, this truth that it is better to go to be with the Lord. John 11 verse 25 says, Jesus said to her, at this point in the narrative, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We see in this verse, in this great story, that to die for a Christian believer is to experience the end of death. That is, as Jesus says, he who believes in him shall never die. Verse 25 is an interesting verse. Jesus begins it with a very interesting comment, I am the resurrection and the life. And he comments upon two facets of death. That is that the believer may die physically and though he may die physically, the believer shall yet live and never die. Jesus is speaking of the truth that the man who is born again, who believes in him, has eternal life. His body may die if the Lord tarries, yet he, the person he is, shall live. Jesus then communicates to us that the believer who lives, the one who believes in him, shall never die. That is, he shall never die the second death. His soul shall never perish. And gloriously, because he is the resurrection and the life, Jesus will raise him body and soul up in eternal life and blessing and glory. It is better to die to go and be with the Lord because though we may die physically, we shall live eternally in Christ Jesus and never die. Here Jesus tells us that he is the resurrection and the life, meaning that he is authorized to raise the dead. He is empowered. 
he is the head of the resurrection and he is the source of the resurrection and he is alive and the source of eternal life. All life comes from him because he is the resurrection and the life. Christ embodies the resurrection. He experienced the resurrection of the dead. He is the firstborn raised from the dead. That is the highest ranking being raised from the dead. And Jesus has conquered in the resurrection because he is eternal life. A friend of ours wrote something to us recently that touched us and her thoughts are, why do we fight to remain here so in this world when it is far better to go to be with the Lord? There's a lot of truth in that comment because we do fight hard to remain here in this world. And it isn't that it's wrong to desire to remain here. We see that Paul declares that he desired, finally, he chose to remain in this world to help others. But the glorious fact that we often overlook or don't understand well is that it is far better to go to be with the Lord. Why fight to remain here when, as Lloyd-Jones described on his deathbed, that it was better he wanted to go to glory? That insight helps us to pray more effectually for our loved ones, for friends in Christ who are passing. It's probably true for many of them that they would say to us as a friend of ABC Radio who used to preach on ABC Radio many years ago, Pastor Steve Fernandez said, don't pray for me when he had cancer because the Lord has shown me that I will die, but pray that I will go to him in glory. It is probably the will of God that we pray that loved ones, friends in Christ, will go to be with the Lord in glory often, and the Spirit of God will direct us and lead us in our prayers as he always does. A pastor in Malawi has said, God knows what to do with this body that he has made. After he had experienced a stroke that greatly immobilized his body, he was greatly incapacitated after the stroke, but his faith shines through in his comment, in his words, and that he knew that the sovereign Lord was in control of the stroke and in control of his body, and that he could trust God with whatever God who created his body did with his body. That thought is of great comfort and encouragement to us because God knows what he is doing with our bodies constantly. He never fails to care for us as is true and right. We see in John chapter 11 the glorious raising of Lazarus from the dead. We see the power of Christ working to raise Lazarus from the dead. The text communicates to us that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha and especially blessed them in the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus declares that death, the last enemy, is overcome and that he has overcome death. And he reveals in the resurrection of Lazarus 
his great victory over death for everyone who believes in him. It's interesting to note, too, that the actions of the Lord were not really understood well by the people of the time. The Lord delayed to go to Lazarus upon hearing that he was sick. This was not understood. The people thought that he should have gone then to heal Lazarus from death, that that was the great blessing needed. The Lord in his wisdom knew that the great blessing that Lazarus, Mary and Martha, and that all people needed was that he would delay to go to Lazarus, that Lazarus would die, and that he would then go and raise Lazarus to life from the dead. This is a great declaration of the identity of Christ, of the power of Christ, of the ability of Christ, of his grace that saves sinners from death. We see in this remarkable story, too, the love and compassion that Jesus had for the people. Mary and Martha have been weeping at the death of their beloved brother. I think we can all understand that. Many of us who are listening today have been touched by the death, the passing of loved ones or friends in the very recent past. Jesus had such great compassion for them, such an understanding of the pain they felt in the suffering and the loss of their brother, that he wept. The shortest verse in the Bible is found in John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept, and the tears of Jesus, his sharing, his compassionate love for Martha and Mary, for the family of Lazarus, for the people, was recognized. The people saw him weeping and understood the great love that he had for Lazarus. They did not quite understand his plan for Lazarus, however, because verse 37 tells us that they asked, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? But Jesus powerfully speaks. He speaks loudly and he commands Lazarus to come out of the grave. Remember, he has declared, I am the resurrection he is the resurrection from the dead, personified, if you will. He is authorized to raise the dead. He has power to raise the dead. And he exercises his authority and power. And he speaks, he commands, and Lazarus, who was dead, lives again. Jesus has prayed to the Father people who are present would see the glory of God, and indeed, they did see the glory of God. Who else but God can raise the dead? Who else but God can create? Who else but God can raise the dead that he has created and brought into death? The words of the prophet come to mind. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And wonderfully, of course, as Jesus commands Lazarus come forth, Lazarus arises and begins to walk yet in his grave clothes. Jesus tells the people to loose him from his grave clothes and to let him go free. Later in the story, Jesus shares a meal with Lazarus. 
and strangely, the Pharisees, upon hearing of the resurrection of Lazarus, do not come to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to glorify God in Christ, but they plan to kill Jesus Christ. And they also plan to kill Lazarus again, as though they could put away all evidence of the resurrection from the dead. Christ's resurrection of Lazarus points us forward, shows us his own glorious resurrection as the firstborn from the dead that is soon coming. And the resurrection of Christ points us to the resurrection of all people that God has ever created at the last day. He is the resurrection and the life, and he will raise up all in his mighty power and great glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 is a longtime favorite verse of mine. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. This is reference to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, which says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts for the one who waits for him. Isaiah 65:17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Paul tells us that the Spirit of God has revealed these glorious truths to us, and that the Spirit knows God and teaches all things of God to believers, yes, even the deep things of God. These are things which would not and could not be known apart from the Spirit's revelation. We cannot see the things of the hereafter with physical eyes, but God has revealed the things to come to us by his Spirit, and he has brought these truths to us that we may know them. Praise the Lord. Because Isaiah has written and other prophets have touched upon this in their prophecies, Paul declares that the Spirit, now given in the fullness of the New Testament dispensation, brings the truth to the hearts of believers that no human eye has ever seen and no ear has ever heard about the glories of heaven. It is not possible for flesh and blood, for men alive in this world, to understand the things of heaven. They cannot see into the things of heaven. They cannot hear the glorious things that are spoken of in heaven. And men in this world cannot conceive in their heart of hearts. They cannot imagine in any measure or degree the glorious things which God has prepared for those who love him in his blessed presence. We have great encouragement in this verse that the things which are beyond our ability to really sense or experience, to know about here in this world, even to imagine, are so great and glorious that God has worked powerfully 
and he has prepared something for believers that is absolutely unimaginably glorious and blessed. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verses 1 through 11, especially with a focus upon verse 8, which says, We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We see that Paul teaches that it is better to go to be with the Lord because our physical bodies, he calls our physical bodies an earthly house, is destroyed at death. The body dies. It is destroyed at death. But he says there is a building from God. It is a house not made with hands. In other words, this is a house that God has erected, which is prepared for believers. Again, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 speaks of God's preparation for those who love him. Here, Paul speaks again of the preparation of God for believers. And we remember that Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and that in his father's house are many mansions. The glorious presence of God, the resplendent presence of God, a building from God, a house not made with hands, many mansions, God's own house is prepared for believers. It is made ready for believers. And so Paul says, this house is eternal in the heavens. It is incorruptible. And that because this is true, Paul has great confidence that he is going to his house prepared by God in glory and that he is well pleased rather to be absent from the body, that is to depart from the body, to die physically and go be present with the Lord. How wonderful. Paul knows it is better to be with the Lord and so he has great confidence in his going to be with the Lord. Confidence in God's grace. Confidence in God's power to fulfill his promise. Confidence in God to save him, to glorify him, to bring him to the house he has prepared for Paul, eternal in the heavens. And Paul declares in this section of verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 11, that believers groan now, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, that is our dwelling, which is in heaven. Paul is not just saying that we desire greatly in our groaning, we are experiencing hardship now in this fallen world, we groan, but we long and desire a dwelling place in heaven where all of our groaning will have ended. We strongly desire that our habitation and dwelling will be as clothing upon us. Notice that the habitation, the presence of God is not just a dwelling, not just a house, a mansion, not just a building, but clothing from God, as though the very presence of God was such a blessing as to be the clothing that one experiences and enjoys in this dwelling place, this habitation. 
of God with God in heaven. God is perfectly near his people in heaven, as near as their clothing. And so Paul earnestly desires to be clothed with this heavenly dwelling place. It is there in heaven he desires to go to be with the Lord. Paul also teaches that we desire this as believers so that we are not naked now. That doesn't speak of being physically naked, but it speaks of our being without a body. In other words, Paul teaches that it is better to be clothed in heaven in God's dwelling place. And so he doesn't desire death just for the sake of death, of of simply being out of the body, which experiences these great sufferings. But he desires to be out of the body, to be fully clothed in glory. He says, we groan for glorification, longing for it in deep longings and groans and sighings. And that the tent that we live in now, that is the body, here he calls the body a tent, is a tent in which we groan and in which we are burdened in this life. It's interesting that a tent is a temporary dwelling. It's usually not a permanent dwelling for people. And so here the body is likened to a temporary shelter and we are burdened in this. We want to be out of the tent and be unburdened. That means to go to be with the Lord and to be fully clothed in glory. Praise God. To be clothed in a glorified body. And then Paul declares that life will come then and immortality will be experienced. There will be no more subjection to death in any way, in any measure. God has prepared this for us, Paul declares. God has readied this blessed, glorious existence for us, and he has shown us what is coming for a believer by his Spirit. Paul also declares in this section of verses that God has given his spirit to a believer as a guarantee so that we know and believe that these promises will be fulfilled, that God indeed will bring us into an eternal dwelling place, that these promised things will take place. The spirit is given to us as a guarantee, and a guarantee is a down payment or the earnest payment. It is a partial payment upon an object that is taken fully when the payment is completed. And so the Spirit of God is given to us now. He is an earnest. He is the payment of God. He is the first indication that the full glory that God has promised will be enjoyed eventually. And so we have him in his glory in part now, but we shall have God in his fullness in the glory eventually. The spirit given to us that we enjoy now is our guarantee of the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment of God's promise. Paul says, so we are confident in these truths, knowing that to be at home in the body is to be absent from the Lord. In other words, to live in this world in a physical body is to be removed from the glorious presence of God. 
We are not yet with him. We are here in this world in a body. But to be out of this body is gloriously to be present with the Lord. And so Paul concludes in his teaching in this section that we therefore walk by faith, not by sight. We, if you will, see the unseeable. We live spiritually. We look to the truth, the reality that cannot be seen by physical eyes. Corruptible flesh and blood cannot experience the presence of God. But we walk by faith, not by sight, looking to Christ by faith, seeing him by faith, following him by faith. Paul also concludes that therefore we seek to please God because we know that we must appear before God and we must appear specifically before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. This speaks of the truth that Christ will judge all men at his judgment seat at judgment day. And as Christ judges believers at his judgment seat, he judges believers for the things done in the body. He does not judge them in terms of their salvation or damnation. No, that issue had been settled long, long ago. They were justified when they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers are forgiven. This is not an issue of their forgiveness. And this judgment does not bring about a suffering of punishment in any way. But this is a judgment for reward, for degrees of reward, which are given by Christ to his people at the judgment seat of Christ. Friends, our time has gone for today. We end on this note now that there are degrees of reward given by Christ to believers at the judgment seat of Christ. And because this is true, we would be very wise to do all that we can in the best possible way that we can in service to the Lord Jesus Christ because our just and powerful Savior is going to reward us for the good we have done. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your faithful word, for the teaching today. This is encouraging, and we pray, Lord, that you will give us a heart to know that it is far better to go to be with you, that we might rejoice in our passing and the passing of loved ones, and rejoice that it is in your plan and power and purpose the best thing for your people. We give you honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And so, my friends, until next Lord's Day morning, may the Lord bless you.